The Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masichet Sota has been dedicated by our good friends and Talmud, Mr. Haimi and Dina Dana, for the success of their children and especially the Fuashirema Moshe Ben Dina. and we start uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten lines from the bottom, uh, starting from the Beraita. How did the Jewish people cross the Jordan at the time of Yeshua? Every single day, normally the Aaron would travel. Uh, and in front of the Aron, literally there were two flags, and behind the Aron there were two flags. Each flag represented three Shevatim. So basically you had six Shevatim in front of the Aron, six Shevatim behind the Aron, and the Aron in the middle. That's the normal way uh, that it uh, camped. That's the way it's written in uh, Sefer uh, Bamidbar. Uh, for example, uh, you had... Yehuda, Reuven, Ephraim, and Dan. That was considered one, one digil. They were traveling uh, in the uh, in the front, um, so on and so forth. However, on the day that the Jewish people crossed the Midbar, crossed the Yarden, the Gemara says, "Vehayom nasa On that day, the Aaron actually was in front. It led the camp. Shneimar. As the Pasuk says, the Aron was over Lifnechem, traveled in front. Uh, right, she says, Lifnechem, Mashma, Lifne Kulechem. It's Mashma in front of all of them. Bechol Yom Vayom, Levim Nusim et Aron. Generally speaking, who was in charge of carrying the Aron? That was a service of the Levim. Right? Like it says in the Pasuk, that was their position. On that day when they crossed the Jordan, the Kohanim actually carried the Aron. says when the Aron, the Kohanim, stuck their feet in the waters of the Yarden. So it says the ones that were holding the Aron. So that was again a Special day, Tanya, Rabbi Yose Omer, 
There's actually three situations in history where the Kohanim carried the Aron. Which we just mentioned. Every single day the Jewish people they made a hakafa around the city of Yericho. They uh, walked around the city. And on Shabbat they walked around the city uh, seven times. Okay, And uh, with that they also had the uh, the Aaron with them. The Aaron was leading the uh, the circle, and who carried it at that time? The Kohanim. And uh, lastly, when they returned the Aaron to its place, uh, the Kohanim carried it. Now, what does that mean? Look at Rashi. Bottom Rashi on the Amud. In the times of Shlomo Melech, lebet kodesha kodeshim. That's the, actually its place. Tichtiv. Vayavu kol zeknei Yisrael. So all the elders of the Jewish people came. Vayisua kohanim et Aaron. Vayinu haziru dem komo. Shekishegla bimei Eli. At the time of Eli Kohen, the Aaron um, was taken into captivity by the Pilishtim. Mitoch bet kodesha kodeshim shul meshkan shalasam Moshe misham nutal was taken from there. Shal meshkan nikbar b'shilo. Initially, the uh, Mishkan was made by Moshe Rabbeinu. And they came into Eretz Yisrael, so they established it in Shiloh. Ushihaziru Pilishtim, lo ayalo makom kavua. And when they returned it to Pilishtim, when they got it back, they didn't have a place to put it. So where did they put it? Shareh Harev Mishkan Shiloh, because Mishkan Shiloh was already destroyed. Mm-hmm. So where did they put it back when they got it? Vinishta, bebet Avinadav. They left it in the fellow's house called Avinadav. Umisham viod David lesufasim shana. Levet Oved Edom, they brought to another fellow called Oved Edom after 20 years. Umisham Ne'ir David, Ad Shebanaz Shalomo Ed Bet HaMikdash. Ubanalo Ad David, and he built the, uh, the office for the Aron. Lifnim Mena Echal, Ve'amad Teraksin Chotsetzet Memkom HaParok, Edu Karui Mekomo. That's considered the place, that is the permanent place of the Aron. Kedekhti Vayavi'u. So the Aron had a nice uh, exile for a while until it got back to its original uh, place where it's supposed to be, which is actually the Bet HaMikdash. So the Aron was carried three times by the Kohanim. So comes the Gemara and says, Once the Kohanim, they stuck their feet in the Jordan, right? They just put their legs in the water. Hazru amayim la'achorehim. So the water started to reverse. The water of the Jordan flowed downstream. The miracle was once they stuck their feet in the water, so the, instead of continuing to flow downstream, they went backwards. And the Gemara is going to say that the water started to pile up on each other until it became a very, very tall uh, you know, a pillar of water. So it says the waters that were coming uh, downward, kamu ned ehad, right? They formed one one pillar, okay? Vekama govhan shelmaim, and how tall was the water? So the Gemara says shenem asar mil al shenem asar mil. It was actually twelve mil high. Uh, that she says, Yud Bet Mil, Kenegan Mahane Yisrael, that was actually the, um, the, the length of Klai Yisrael when they would travel 
the, the Jewish people in their formation was yudbet meal in width and yudbet meal in length. So basically what the Gemara is saying over here is, according to the Gersav Rashi at least, that it took yudbet meal, length of Jews to cross the Jordan River, and in that time that yudbet meal people walked across yudbet meal of water piled uh, high. So Rashi explains that. Rashi says, if you look at the fourth line, Yud Bet Mil Keneged Mahanei Yisrael. If you notice, Rashi does not tell us Yud Bet Mil Al Yud Bet Mil. He doesn't tell us that the width of the waters of the Jordan were Yud Bet. Just the height was Yud Bet Mil. So he has a different text in our Gemara. He says, Shayu Shnem Asar Mil Ashnem Asar Mil, which is the Jewish people. That was their uh, distance, their length. Vem Avru Kahaniyatam. Rohab Mahanem Avru Yahad Kemotshu Rohab Shnem Asar Mil. Nimsa. The length that it took the Jewish people to to travel across was they traveling there with, right? Which is twelve meals. There was a lot of people walking across at the same time, but till the last guy got across, it was twelve meal. So that she says that until it took the last guy to cross. So So the amount of people twelve mil connected twelve mil, which according to this Gemara assumes that uh, human beings are able to walk at the same distance as water is able to to fall. So it's giving the same uh, same ratio twelve mil connected twelve mil. So to that the Gemara comes along and says the Rebbe Yehuda, Amar Rebbe Lazar Rebbe Shimon, the Dvarecha, Adam Kal Omayim Kalim. According to what you're saying, who's more swift? Human beings or water? Obviously, waters are able to you know, flow down quicker than water. So he doesn't accept that just because there was 12 meal of people that it arose 12 meal of water. He's according to your logic. He's by the time 12 meal, if you say that's all that went high, and then it came crashing down, there still should have been Jews in the water. It would have uh, drowned them. He says it was much higher because the waters go down much quicker and therefore they were just piling on top of each other water on water until it reached like 300 mil which is uh, hundreds of miles uh, in the sky Until all the kings of the east and the west they were able to see this uh, uh, tower of water that was just uh, piling up, Shneemar, as the pasuk says, mm-hmm. they were their heart melted when they saw this. Like they had no more spirit, uh, you know, and strength to go fight the Klai Israel. Now the Gemara says they saw it, but the pursuit that they bring says that they heard it. By Yishma. Yeah, yeah. So make up your mind, did they see it or they heard it? So the Mahabshah explains, or they actually saw it, but they also heard that this miracle happened because of Klai Israel. They didn't, they didn't know what they were seeing, they just saw waters uh, piling up over there. So because they were able to see it, so when they heard that it was happening to Klai said they believed it. So if it was a combination of their hearing that it was for the Jewish people, and they saw the actual words, therefore it was believable yeah. that this thing was indeed happening, and therefore they were actually 
they were actually scared, as it says, their heart uh, melted. I always thought it was the first uh, C-split. And as a matter of fact, when the spies went into Eretz Yisrael, the spies of Yoshua, mm-hmm. so they got to the house of the Habazona, and uh, she was telling them about the uh, attitude of the inhabitants of Canaan, how scared they were of Bnei Israel. So she says something similar. She says, Ki et et yamsuf. Says they, read, they heard already 40 years ago, they still remember how God split the sea when the Jewish people came out of Mitzrayim. Uchtiv, Right? There was no more, uh, they had no more strength or spirit to rise against Tlaisel. Now the Gemara is trying to bring a proof over here that what? That they, just like in uh, uh, the Yardin, they saw the waters because they were so high. So seemingly they want to bring a proof. Similarly, the Gemara's language is What's the ayah from the Havazona? You, did, you have to bring me a proof that they actually saw Kiryat Yamsuf. So the Mahasha explains again that even though the Pasuk says they heard it, it says they heard that what that this happened, the miracle for Klaisil. But it says in the Midrash they actually saw it. How did they see? Because there's all the waters in the world at that time when the sea split in Misraim, all the waters in the world split as well. And therefore they saw it with their own eyes. Therefore when they heard that this happened to Klaisil, they believed it. Just like we learned by the Yardin. Right? That they saw it and they heard, and therefore it complemented each other. So the same thing when they uh, heard it. What happened to Klai Sal, they confirmed it because they saw the sea split in their own uh, areas. So therefore, it was believable. Now the Gemara tells us what happened when the Jewish people were standing in the Jordan. So you have to picture the scene. Yeah, all the Jewish people now in the Jordan River, and the waters are piling up uh, over their heads. So it says... So Yeshua bin Nun tells the Jewish people, Know what the condition over here is that we're crossing the Jordan. To go, we've got to go fight. We have to go inherit the land and chase out all the uh, dwellers of Eris Good. If you're up to the uh, challenge, to go fight, it's very good. The waters are going to come crashing down and are going to drown. That should say etchem. What is otechem? My otechem, oti veetchem. Both of us. It's going to drown you and drown Yeshua as well. If I should explain, because that's based on the rule of Kol Yisrael Arevim Zelazeh. Right? Everybody's responsible for each other. And therefore, if the Jewish people do not make good on their promise to fight in their society, so Yoshua has a guarantee as well. Therefore, I'm going to go down with you. Or Dambi Yerden, as they were still in the Jordan, Amar Lein Yoshua, Harimu Lachem, Ish Even Ahat Al Shechmo, Lemispar Shifte Israel. He told each tribe to lift a rock out of the Jordan River, which means 12 stones. Uchtiv, Lema Antiye Zot Ot Bekirbechem. So this will be a sign in your midst. Your children are going Say, what are these stones over there? They made like a monument of stones. The children are going to say, what does this represent? 
This was the first set of stones that they collected. There's actually two set of stones they collected. This is the first set that was used to put on the side of the uh, the east side of the Jordan. They put a big monument over there that they erected in order that the people will know that there was a miracle that took place. That when the Jewish people got to the Jordan River, it split, and they were able to uh, walk across. Okay, so it was more of a um, memorial. Look at the um, look at the Rashi. הרימו לכם הם האבנים שהקימו תחת מצב רגלי הכהנים they put those rocks under the כהנים they were on the east side לזיכרון להיות סימן לבנים שעברו אבות את הירד so be a sign for the sons that their fathers crossed the ירדן okay then it says עודם בירדן אמר להם יהושע they were still in the Jordan יהושע בנון תאר זה מסעו לכם מזה מתוך ירדן במצב רגלי הכהנים a second set. Take twelve rocks, stones, and these stones over here you're going to take with you across to Eris Israel. And you're going to put them, you're going to erect them in your dwelling that you're going to sleep tonight. Which means, remember, as we learned already, those were the stones that they took into Eris Israel, and they eventually built the Mizbeah from those stones. And they built the Mizbeah and they brought Korbanot. And then they took the stones and they wrote on those stones the Torah in 70 languages. And they went to Har Girizim and Har Ival and they had the curses and they had the blessings. And they continued to travel. On the first night, they got into Eriseh, they reached a place called Gilgal. That was the Malon, that was their uh, first station stop. And that's where they placed the stones as a uh, monument. That says that you're going to place the stones in the Malon. So the Gemara says, Yachol Bechol Malon Malon. Does it mean every station stop, every place that they dwell, which you're going to have to carry with them to every uh, malon, every dwelling uh, that they're going to be? No, the malon that you're going to sleep tonight, which was Gilgal, and that's where the stones we made. Now the Gibraltar is going to tell us uh, exactly... Um, how big these stones were. They were actually very, very humongous, very heavy. They were there. They stood on those stones. They actually uh, weighed uh, the uh, measurement of 40 se'ah. <coughs> That's the Arba'im uh, Se'ah is a volume, uh, uh, is, is a weight uh, measure. But if you took the volume to fit 40 Se'ah of water, uh, the Gemara says in another place in Arubin, it's Amma al Amma al Rum Shalosh Amot. That's like uh, two feet by two feet and the depth of uh, about six feet. So that was the. Uh, Big, big uh, stone, all rock, which is obviously uh, very, uh, very heavy. Each one. Okay, each each stone, each one of the uh, twelve stones. Okay. Now it's a question if it's really referring to the weight. Now, if it's the weight, it's much heavier. If it's the weight of forty se'ah of water, you know, it's a uh, very water is very heavy. It's probably forty se'ah of it. So it's mahlokit if it's talking to the actual the volume of how much you know forty seconds fit into, or is it talking about the mishkan? As I told you, it must be uh, uh, very heavier uh, that they were able uh, to carry it. So comes the Gemara and says, trying to show you the strength 
of that generation. Each one carried one rock. Right? Each leader of the tribe. So the Kabbalah comes up with the Gemidian. We have a tradition. The Te'una, a load, the Madle Inish that a person uh, puts on his uh, shoulder, right? he carries on his uh, shoulder, right? lifts it up. Tilta is a third the Te'unehave. That if somebody will put it on his shoulder and help him. Which means when a person can lift himself is a third of if somebody would put the item on the shoulder, he can carry three times the weight. If he doesn't have to lift it up, if somebody lifts it and puts it on the shoulder, which means if these stones over here were 40 se'ah, that means that they were able to lift 40 se'ah. That means if they were being helped, they were able to carry 120 se'ah. Because mm-hmm. that's three times uh, the amount. It's, it's harder to lift it up yourself, to put it on your shoulder and things like that. Now you can do one third of the amount if somebody would help you lift it up. So it shows you again the strength over here of uh, of these people over here. Actually, let's go before that. Let's start from uh, Right, the guy himself puts it on his shoulders. Without any help from anybody else. It's only a third of the weight that he can carry. Somebody else is going to help him. And lift, put it on him. And each guy technically was able to carry 120 se'in. Right? Which means uh, if they would put it on their shoulders, they can actually carry 120 se'in, which is a tremendous, uh, tremendous amount. The only rocks was only 40 because they had to lift it up themselves. They didn't get any help. But if they would have got help, they were able to actually carry three times. So now the Gibraltar says, once already you know that, we can go start calculating another heavy item. What's that? So the Gibraltar says, When the spies went into Eretz Yisrael in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, it says they brought back a cluster of grapes. And the Gibraltar is going to prove over here that it took eight of the spies to carry the cluster of grapes. Because it was that heavy. So the Yomar says, Shnei Emar, Vayisa'uhu bamot bishnayim. That they carry the cluster of grapes, bamot, with a pole bishnayim. With two people. Now that's obvious. If it's a pole, so you have two people. One guy on one side of the pole, one guy on the other side of the pole. So why does the Pasuk have to say bamot bishnayim? It's redundant. Mimasra Shnei Emar bamot. Vitami was a pole that they carried it with. Eni yodea she bishnayim. Don't I know there's two people? What does it teach Mishnayim? motot. It was actually two poles. Oh, and then the Gemara comes along and says from logic, which means it wasn't only one level, one load, but it was a load under a load, which means there was actually four poles over here. According to the way he's understanding it, Rashi, and then we'll read it inside, that when the Pasuk says, Motot Shenayim, right, the language of Vaisu, Bamot Bishnayim, so it means there were two Motot. And then Rabbi uh, Yitzhak comes up and says, no, it was two Motot per, per level. There was Turtane and Turtane to Turtane. Level one of the carrying and level two. So that she learns, if you just want to see it in the picture, so it'll be much easier, that there were two poles that were parallel to each other, you know, running across the cluster of grapes on one level. And then you had, um, you had two other poles that were running diagonal. 
like uh, forming an X across the uh, grape itself, and we had uh, four other people carrying. So altogether, you had eight people carrying the cluster of grapes. Now, how does the Mitzhak know that? Because we have a tradition that one of them was carrying a te'ena, one, one te'ena, one fig. Took one person to carry a fig, it was so heavy. And one was carrying a rimun. And we know Yoshua and Kalev didn't carry anything. Because they didn't want to get involved in bringing back these gigantic fruits because they knew they were going to use it to speak bad about the land. So that means you have eight people left. So what did the eight people do? Must be the eight people were carrying one cluster of grapes. That's what the Mitzhak from Logic said. It must be Turtane, Turtane, the Turtane. It must be two levels of poles over there. That means you had four poles, two running parallel across the cluster of grapes, and then one uh, running uh, uh, diagonal across on a different level, and the other running diagonally across the other level, like forming an X, like you see in the picture over here. So altogether you had eight people carrying this cluster of grapes. You could imagine how heavy it was, because we just said that when people are carrying things together, they're able to carry three times uh, the normal amount. And if a person could normally carry at least 40 se'ah, Himself, so with help, you can imagine that 120 seah with eight people carrying was a phenomenally heavy uh, cluster of grapes uh, in this uh, in this situation. Now let's read Rashi over here. I'm going to be itzhak. Turtane v'turtane de turtane. What does the word turtane mean? She says masui umasui tahat masui. It was a load, and it was a load under a load. There were two levels of carrying. The poles ran through two levels of the uh, of the cluster. Right, the bottom level was helping the upper level. On each level there were two poles. Those were the two poles that were parallel to each other. Right, and had four people carrying those poles. And they traveled on a slant. Under the first level of poles. Which means one pole was at the head of one of the cluster, and the other pole was at the head of the cluster, running across, crisscrossing uh, each other, like we said. Now Yitzhak, he didn't know that there was eight people carrying the grapes. The Pasuk doesn't say there were eight people, but he knows it from logic. Which two people carried that. One carried the Rimon, one carried the Te'ena. So therefore, how many spies you have left? You have eight spies. Which means once already we have the first Dinashan that says that it was two motot. Also, then already the Bishak said, Oh, once you tell me there was two motot, now we'll have to tell you was it were two levels. Two motot on two levels, and therefore that's how it was able to come to uh, So the first that I is needed. The first time there was two, it wasn't one pole with two people, that's obvious. I don't, I don't need to tell me mot mishnayim. Every mot has two people carrying it. There must be mot mishnayim, it was two poles. Also, all he came in and it was, I'm, I'm just telling you, two poles on two levels. Mm-hmm. And therefore you end up having uh, a. So it's from a derasha uh, as well as a sevara. Uh, Comes the Gemaran says. Ha speaks it out clearly on the second wide line. Shemona Nasu Eshkol Ehad. I'm sorry. Shemona Nasu Eshkol. Ehad Nasa Rimon. Vehad Nasa Teena. One carried a pomegranate, one carried a fig. 
יהושע וכלב לא נעשו כלום. Now why did they carry anything? So the Gemara gives two reasons. Because they were the most hashub of the spies, uh, so therefore it was not dignified for them to carry uh, these, uh, these uh, grapes over here, whatever it was, to, to carry anything. They were not part of the uh, scheme of the spies. As she says, mm-hmm. They were bringing it back to show that the grapes are uh, unusually large. Right? The intention was sinister. There's giants over here. Look at the food that they eat. We have nothing to do with this. We're not carrying any of these fruits over here in order to use it to speak bad about the land. What Rabbi says. We're going back to what we learned earlier. We learned earlier that while that according to Rabbi Yehuda, the waters actually reached a uh, pinnacle of 12 mil high. Okay, as the Jewish people crossed by. So Rabbi Yehuda, which means they traveled, which is the Jewish people are 12 by 12 mil. So they traveled in their formation, which means 12 mil uh, width, right? So they traveled in a formation as such where uh, they all went simultaneously across the Jordan River, and by the last guy, that was the 12 meal, there was 12 meal of water that piled on top. However, the Devrer be El Azar bin Shimon that says it actually piled up to 300 meal. So he says, that the 300 meal is so much, must be they traveled across the Jordan in single file. Because if they were to travel in 12 meal uh, formation, it wouldn't have got to 300 meal the water. So he says, must be they traveled one at a time, single file, according, which takes, obviously takes much longer to give the water a chance to, to, pile, uh, to pile on high. So comes again, that's one way of understanding the makhluket. The hadamar, and one says no. Ben mor, uben mor, avru. They traveled in formation. It was 12 mil. Mor savar adam kal. But Rabbi Yehuda says that human beings are more swift than the water. That's why we only piled up to 12 mil. Umor sabar ma'im kalim. And uh, Rabbi Azar holds that water is more swift and therefore it's able to, uh, obviously more water is going to pile than they were able to uh, travel. Now the uh, Tosafot uh, speaks out of it. What does that mean? Adam Kal. Look at the Tosafot who in the bottom. Mor Savar Adam Kal. Even though we know that generally speaking water flows faster than a human being could walk. It's only when they're flowing downstream. Here it wasn't flowing downstream. Here it was traveling upstream. Which means, what happened to the Jordan? The Jordan normally flows down, right? Mm-hmm. What was happening here now, the water went back. Like it says in the Pesuk, It went back. And what was happening? It was climbing. Because right. now it had to climb to the, to the top. To create a, uh, a formation of like a, a tower. And therefore, in that case, human beings have the same pace. Wow. Or can have even a, 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 a faster pace than the than the water. Everybody agrees. Normally, if you have water going downstream and a human being walking, the, the water is going to beat the man. 
But Sheikh, in this case, the only reason Rabbi Yudah says that Adam Kal is because this wasn't flowing downstream, this was actually flowing upstream. Because okay. that, uh, you know, climb up the, uh, to the top. So in that case, over there, he says, by, by the time 12 meal of Jewish people who traveled in a formation went across, it already piled up to the 12 meals. That's the two ways of learning. Now the Gemara goes to an uh, analyzation, analysis of the spies. That Yoshua ben Nun sent. Shelach lecha anashim. The pasuk says, right? God says to Yoshua, send for yourself spies. Amar eshtakish. Shelach lecha medachtecha. Lecha. Send them for your purposes. Vichi adam ze borer helakra leatzmo. Does a human being choose a bad portion for himself? Which means that we're not trying to give him mashal over here. Which is just like a human being. When he goes to buy something, right? He's not going to take something that's bad for himself. Called mm-hmm. Shekin God, when he chooses something for the Jewish people, he's not going to choose something that's bad. God saying, you don't have to send it. I told you the land is good. You don't need to, to buy that. Does a person uh, choose something that is uh, inferior? And she says, Klum yesh adam kilomar. Im akadosh barakut siva. On the contrary, would God now put a stumbling block in front of the Jewish people where we tell them, send spies knowingly that they're going to come back with a uh, bad report? That's what it says. The Pasuk says that when they came to Moshe Rabbeinu to send the spies, so it says that it was good in my eyes. So the Gebaraz Doresh, in my eyes, but not in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. Now obviously, uh, this needs to be uh, understood over here. Uh, now what does it mean? Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, did something that was not good in the eyes of God. God didn't want him to send it, so why did Moshe Rabbeinu send? So the rabbis explain over here an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, understanding over here. To a fellow that uh, is selling uh, a product. Uh, examples, he's selling a car, let's say. So uh, he's selling the car, so the guy comes to him and says, Hey, listen, I wanna, before I buy the car, I want to check out the car to see if it's working uh, correctly. Mm-hmm. So the guy comes along and says, Of course, absolutely, check the car, do whatever you want, my pleasure. When the buyer hears that, that the guy's so confident, he says, you know what, I don't have to check it. If he's so confident, says it's good like that, he's not even scared, so uh, he'll buy it. So the same thing when the uh, Jewish people came along and said, hey, we're say we, want, we want to check it out. So Moshe Rabbeinu, he didn't intend to send them. His intention was, of course, go. Meaning he was trying to, uh, like, uh, it was like a bluff. Go, of course, go look at it. It's great. It's uh, unbelievable. Like, uh, so he figured when the people are going to hear that Moshe Rabbeinu was so confident, that you can go, go check out. The people will say, uh, we should have been so confident, we don't even have to check But then they came along and said, no, we're going. Oh, they're going. So now ready to plan uh, the plan. That's the way that she uh, wants to explain. So Moshe Rabbeinu didn't intend to send the spies, because God really didn't tell him to send, send the spies. You want to send that's on your own, uh, that's on your own uh, 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 understanding. Okay? That's what it says. He, 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 it says, Vayitav be'inaya davar. Which means the item, the, 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 the discussion was good in my eyes, but not the actual sending. The sending wasn't good in Moshe Rabbeinu's eyes as well. He never intended really to send them as they went, according to this interpretation. In any event, what happened, the Pasuk says, Now normally, means to dig. 
a spy that usually is like a digger. What is a digger? Excavation. He digs and he tries to discover things. So go, go dig out the land. Go, go find out what's going on over here. Amar their intent from the beginning was to bring out the shame of Eris Israel. uses a strange word, Normally it should say, that's a normal word for spy. But over here it says, from the word, what? It says in the uh, Pasuk, this Pasuk over here actually is in Yeshaya, Vehafra, Levana, Ubusha, Hahama. So over here it's saying that the sun and the moon are going to be embarrassed and humiliated. The Hafra is to be humiliated. So you see what? Vehaperu means to humiliate. And the Zohar Kadosh explains that the spies uh, had a bad intent in their heart because they thought that they're going to lose their position of leadership if they go into mm-hmm. Israel. So therefore, to them, even though maybe uh, on a conscious level they weren't thinking about that, but subconsciously that was in the deep recess of their heart that they wanted to return onto the power, so therefore uh, they saw the things in a bad light. And the Torah lists the names of the spies. We have a tradition. All the names of the spies, their names actually indicate that they were uh, faulty, that they had uh, bad intentions. So we only figured out one name, how the, his name represents what he did. Setur ben Michael. Setur, what does Setur mean? Shesatar ma'asav shelakadosh baruchu. Satar is to destroy, or is to dismantle. He dismantled the actions of a kadosh baruchu, which means God said the land is good. And he came along and Setur, he dismantled, he demolished it. He came along and went against the will of God by saying that the, uh, the land is, uh, <coughs> is actually uh, not good. And what? Michael, Setur bin Michael, She'asa atzmo mach. He made Hatz Vashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu weak. If you remember when the spies came back, one of the things they said was, is that even God is not strong enough to remove his, uh, his uh, subjects from the land. So which means they made Hashem God Himself as if He was uh, unable and not capable to, you know, to to, to oust uh, the Guim from there. But we have another name that we can dorish on. Nahbi bin Vufsi. What's the derasha? Nahbi shehbi devarav shla kadosh baruch hu. Nahbi is to hide. He concealed the words of a kadosh baruch hu that teaches velo amaran kemotchen. Which is, he didn't say him like they were. God said the land is good. He came along and concealed him. And he said, you know, other things about the land. Vufsi, skipped over the midot of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Mahashak, so he skipped over the midot. The midah of God is that God rewards the good people and punishes the bad people. And therefore, since the inhabitants of Eretz Canaan were bad people, so therefore it says that they deserve punishment. And the Jewish people earned through uh, Zechuyot to go into Eretz Israel. He skipped over that midah and said, no, the Jewish people don't deserve to go in and the Canaanim are not going to be ousted. That's going against one of the principles of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that he's Ma'anish. Uh, and he's mezakeh, and it's a dikim. So he skipped over the midot. 
נחמי בן וופסי שפיסח, וופסי זה הכל נשון לפסוע, he skipped over one of the מידות הזאת ברוך הוא, ויעלו בנגב, so it says they went into the Negev area, ויבוא עד חברון, and he came to חברון. Now this is strange, because the beginning of the Pasuk is plural, ויעלו, it says all the spies got to the Negev, and then it says, and he came to חברון, ויבוא, so the Gemara asks, ויבוא מבעיל, it should say in plural. אמר רבא מלמד שפירש כלב מעצת מרגלים והלך ונשתתח על קברי אבות. כלב, he separated himself from the pack of spies and he went to pray by the graves of the אבות in the city of חברון. אמר להן אבותיי, he went to the graves and he said, my dear fathers, בקשו עלי רחמים שנצל מעצת מרגלים. Please, save me that I should be saved, pray for me that I should be saved from the... Plot of the spies. Yeshua kevar bikesh Moshe alav rachamim. We know already Yeshua was covered. Moshe Rabbeinu prayed from Shneimar. Vayikra Moshe loshia belun Yeshua. What does the yud of Yeshua stand for? Ya Yeshua acha meatzat menegedim. Right, God should save you from the idea of the spies. Vehayru dichtiv. Like the pasuk says, veavdi kalev ekev aita ruach acheret emo. It says that kalev had a different. A spirit in him, which means he had a different idea. He was different than all the other spies. Zuach Ha'ayrit had a different direction than all the spies. And if you look at the end of that pasuk over there, it tells us that as a result, God gave him the land of Hebron. The pasuk says, "Vaymale Acharay Vaviotim Alazah Shir Bashama Vizarol Yurishena." We know that he inherited a piece of land. What land did he inherit? Kalev Hebron. What does that teach us? Why did he get Hebron? Midak Kalev Midak. Since he went to Hebron to pray, so therefore in his in his inheritance he got the land of Hebron. That is two things that we need to analyze on this uh, last piece of uh, of the Gemara. Number one, uh, throughout the story of the Meragelim, it's always referred to as Atzat Meragelim. Atzat Meragelim is the, literally an Atzah is an advice. Now why is it called Atzat Meragelim, the advice of the Meragelim? It really wasn't uh, an advice, it was, they spoke Lashonara, they spoke bad things about it, it should say, it should say Dibat Meragelim. It wasn't Atzat, and even Moshe Rabbeinu, when he's praying for his student, Ya Meragelim, from the advice of the Meragelim. So the Mephaitim explained over here, that really when they came back, what they reported, they saw. They weren't lying about anything over here. They did see the big fruits as evident as they brought it back. They did see funerals that took place every single day that they were there. They did see giants like we're going to see in the Gemara immediately. So there was really no lie in exactly what they said. They did see uh, the cities that they were living in. Uh, the, question, the, the issue of the Meraginim was not the report. More so... Then, what they did after they gave the report. After they gave the report, they filed an opinion. <laughs> and they came along and said, it's our opinion not to go in. That's where you made the mistake. Moshe Rabbeinu said, we didn't uh, send you on this expedition to give an opinion. Which means, you're, you're, you were supposed to just come back and report your findings. If they just would have stopped at the last piece of information, you're okay. But then they came along and they added, and as a result of this, we think, oh, you're giving now advice? Who asked you for your advice? That was the avon of the Magilim. You gave us, we don't need your advice. The advice is God's advice that we're going to go in. So therefore, ya yoshi'akam ma'atsat That was the claim. 
claim against the spies, the Aitzah uh, that they offer. That's what it's always calling it the Aitzah. Not the word. The words themselves uh, had some validity. Furthermore, the Mefarshim say over here on this Pasuk, Ekev, it says by uh, Kalev, right? It says uh, by him that he had Ruach Akhiret. Ekev Kalev, Avdi Kalev, Ekev Aita Ruach Akhiret Emo. The Arizal says that there was a um, a great man called Hur. Hur was uh, partners with Aharon at Kohen when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to the Shammam to get the Torah. The Jewish people uh, worshipped the Egel. Uh, as a result, when they came to Hur to tell them that they want to worship the Egel, Hur, Hur was adamant. Impossible, nothing doing, we can't do it, it's wrong, it's Asur. Where Aharon, uh, Aharon was what we call Ahat Bapeh Bahat Balib, which means. He told them, okay, go get the gold, go get the, you know, the jewelry, stuff like that, verbally, he said, but in his heart, of course, he had no intention at all whatsoever to do that. It was a stalling tactic. It was a tactic. Very similar to the tactic of Caliph. When Caliph came back, and you know, the spies were giving the report, so Caliph, if you remember, he got up and said, you know, you think that's the only thing Ben Amram did for us? He started to talk a little negative about what should have been. So the spies said, oh, gonna, he's going to be our spokesman. He's going to be what? Kalev, you give it out. And then he came along and said, he took us out of Egypt. He gave us a Torah. He started speaking praises. So he used like a, uh, he used it for the, for, for the good things. So the Mepharashim say that since one was a great Sadiq, uh, as a result of him not using that ruse, so he ended up getting killed because of it. And there was a big, it was, it was, it was a big claim against the Jewish people that they can kill this great Sadiq, Hur. So the holy books bring down that even though Hur did right, he was unyielding and he was uncompromising and he was supposed to do what he did, but what? He could have used that method of Aaron of Ahat Bapev Ahmad He could have used it Lashem Shamayim. So it says he had to come back. And who did he come back as? He came back as Kalev. In order to this time. Without having the people having to kill to use this uh, this uh, that's what the pasuk says. because ruach acheret, boy, he had a different spirit. Who is the different spirit? Hur. So that Rizal says ruach is otiyot hur. What was the other spirit? The ruach was actually ruach and hur are the same uh, same letters. So ruach ahir. Who was the ruach? Hur, and he was the other spirit that he had in him. So you see, there was much more. No, no, he died. He died. He died earlier before. He died by the eagle. So what? No, according to that, he's uh, the Shemot able to be mirabal in a person even when he's alive. The Shemot said he came able to enter the person as it happens. That's called the Ibud Neshama. That's not a problem. Comes the Gemara and says, "V'sham achiman sheshai v'talmai." So it says in the pasuk over here that what that they have, they were the giants. The giants were over there in Eris Kenan. So it says achiman. Now we're going to go to the names of the, of, the, of the giants. Why was he called Ahiman? Miyuman Shebe'ehav. Miyuman is like the strongest. He was the strongest of the brothers. Sheshai Shemesimetaaris Keshachatot. That when he walks, his, uh, his uh, step, his stride was so heavy that he would make like uh, imprints in the ground. He would make like holes uh, in the ground. He would destroy the ground uh, when he was walking. 
Rashi says that Shemakom Raglav Ma'amik Ba'aris Merov Kovdo. His legs were so heavy, they would make like holes in the ground. Vinikar Shem Teguma, right? Like like a pothole in the in the ground as he was walking, right? And some say that the word Sheshai is Milashon Amude Shesh, like a uh, a pillar of marble. When you put a pillar of marble in the ground, you take it out. Obviously, there's a hole over there. So his legs were like Sheshai, like Amude Shesh. That he was walking made tremendous imprints. In any event, Talmai Shemesim Etaris Telamim Telamim. Talmai means like a furrow. When he would walk, his legs were so strong, it would kick up the dirt of the ground. It was like he plowed the ground like a Telamim. He would make furrows in the ground. Another interpretation. Now, this another interpretation is not being Doresh their names. The first Tanasha was their names. Right? Now it's going to be Doresh that they were, they were known. These were famous uh, men. Achiman bana Anat. He was famous for building the city of Anat. Sheshai bana Alush. He built the city of Alush. Talmai bana Talbush. Okay, those are different cities that they built. Yelide Anak. Now these were the children of the giant. Shema'anikin hama bekomatan. So the reason called Yelidea Anak, the way it explains over here is, they wore the sun as a necklace. They were so big that when they would walk, it would look like the sun was hanging over their neck like a necklace. So they called Yelidea Anak, Shema'anikim etachama bekomatam. That's how I told her. She says, Merov gova komatan domin ki'ilu savaram nokev ve'onek benekev shahama yotzed bo. Right, it looks like they're, 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 they're going through the sun itself. Now, one more derashah on this. It says, Ve'hevron, but now we're going to say derashah on the city of Hebron. Ve'hevron sheba' shanim nivneta. Hebron was built, literally, it says it was built seven years before So'an Misraim. There were two cities. One is Hebron in Israel, and one is So'an in Misraim. So literally the Pasuk says, Hebron was built seven years before So'an Misraim. Now let's go slow. The city of Hebron was in the land of Canaan. The city of Tzoan was the land of Misraim. Now, although you know uh, Canaan and Misraim as lands, but Canaan and Misraim were actually people. They were actually the children of Ham. Ham, the son of Noah, had children. Okay? So, uh, one of the children he had was Misraim, who was actually older than Canaan. So the Gemara is going to say, it doesn't make sense that a Ham would build... Hebron, Kena'an, for his younger son, before he would build a city for his older son, Misraim. Mm-hmm. So then we cannot interpret it that Hebron was seven years earlier built than uh, Sohan and Misraim. It doesn't make sense that a father is going to build for his younger son before he builds for his older son. So the Gemara says, nivneta, nivneta, mamash. If it means it was actually built before, if Shad Adam Bonet Bait of No Katan Kodim No Gadol, for a person going to build a, 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 a city, for his younger son, before his older son, who was the sons of Ham? Kush, Umisraim, Fut, Uknaam. So Kanaan was the youngest one. So he's not going to build Hebron, which is in Kanaan, before he built something for his son Misraim. It means like this Hebron was seven times more fertile than Misraim. Nivneta doesn't mean built, it means. It was more flourishing than so on the same. Seven times better. Now that's a big Hadush. Why? So Gabra says, says, 
you have to know the rockiest area in the whole land of Israel is Hebron. Which is the, it's really the worst land of Israel. It's uh, is rocky. Right? That's why, what do they use Hebron for? For burying dead. Mm-hmm. They really can't plant too much in Hebron. It's used like as a cemetery. You have to the most fertile of all the lands is what? Mishraim. It's like the garden of Hashem, like the land of Mishraim. And in Mishraim, the most fertile of Mishraim is what? Mishraim. Who used to live in Su'an? All the kings and all the princes. That was like considered the most hashub metropolis over there. Su'an. And still, Hebron, which is the rockiest part and all that, is still greater than the greatest of Messiah. That's how they show you the praise of Eretz Israel. The worst of Eretz Israel is seven times greater than the best of Messiah. So the Gemara says, The Hebron Wait a minute, is Hebron rocky? You tell me Hebron is a rocky terrain. But the Pasuk says, This is after uh, Avshalom wanted to bring a Korban. So Avshalom went to his father David. And he said, Please, I want to bring a sacrifice uh, in the Mishkan. Let me go to Hebron to bring a sacrifice. Now the problem is, what is he going in Hebron? The Mishkan was not in Hebron, the Mishkan was in Gifon. So what is he saying? I want to go to Hebron to bring a uh, sacrifice. So comes again what says, He went to bring the animals, the sheep. He went to bring from Hebron. Vetanya, and we have a bright that says, Elim, the best goats come from, the best rams come from Moab. And the best goat, the best sheep come from Hebron. So you see what? If you have sheep over there, it means you have grazing. That means over there you have planting. So that means you tell me it's a rocky area, you won't be able to graze animals over there if it was a rocky area. So therefore it's challenging that yeah, we just said that while it's a rocky area. It's not, there's no grazing. But the answer is when Avshalom went to get his animal that he brought, he went to specifically to Like the Gabbara says, Avron has the best animals. So the Gabbara says, Mina. From that story, I'll bring you a proof that I'm right. That Adraba, that it was a fertile land. How do you know? Because the land, the dust of the rocky land is very, very, it's light dust. So you're not able to really plant food for human beings like wheat, like barley. So what do they plant over there? Grass. And things like that, that animals are able to eat. So then on the contrary, it's fertile uh, but since it's rocky, they don't plant uh, human food. Mm-hmm. They plant animal fodder over there. And therefore, what happens? The animals of Hagron, it says, And therefore, the acquisition of Hagron is very fat because the animals are very fat. So, from will you bring me a proof? That's not proving me, by the way. It's just show me that since there was a lot of animals over there, it shows me what? Because it was rocky, they only planted uh, the animal food, which is easier to plant over there, I guess. That's why the animals of Hagron were much uh, stronger. Let's just look at. Oh, Rashi, one Rashi over here. Elchanah v'Shalem, and the Dara is talking about Avshalom. Elchanah b'Hevron. I'm going to go to Hevron v'Shalem, and Nedar shiladati b'Geshur. It says Avshalom made a Nedar to bring a korban. Kedichti b'Teki Nedar v'Nedar avdechah b'Shalti b'Geshur. B'Hevron, my ba'ay. V'Aluya Shema mizbaki b'Givon. What do you say? I'm going to bring my korban in Hevron. The Mishkan was in Givon. And I'm going to go to Hevron to get the animal to ultimately bring it in the Mishkan which is 
It seems it wasn't rocky, it was actually fertile. You're helping me from this. You couldn't plant human fruit because it was rocky. However, the dirt of the rocky land is very, very, very light. Dirt things like. So what did they do instead? They grow better in a dry land than in a moist land. That's the Inyan of Hebron. Amen, amen.